Welcome to Practical Christian Living. What happens to us when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we confess with our mouth that He is Lord, when we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and we are saved? There's a couple of things. We talked about this last weekend. One is that your spirit is brought back to life. Your spirit, which who knows, is it dormant? Is it dead? Is it non-existent? What does it really mean to be born again? Today on Practical Christian Living, we continue our study in the book of Hebrews as we look at what happens when the Holy Spirit inside of us comes to life. We're also looking at the controversial verse that deals with whether or not it's possible to come back to repentance if we walk away from God. Stay with us. Here comes Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you that you are speaking to us about how we live for you daily, uh, specifically when we take something like the law in the Old Testament and how that applies to our lives. We thank you for all the promises that you have given us. And we pray that we would faithfully and effectively receive those promises. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 6, we have one of the most fearful, one of the most misunderstood passages in all of the pages of Scripture. It tells us that if we have a bunch of knowledge and then we fall away, it's impossible to renew you to repentance. And there are a few different ways people take it. There are some who believe that you could be truly saved, that you would fall away, and that you would never be able to come back. That's a little frightening, isn't it? That's a little disconcerting because all of us at one time or another have drifted away, walked away, made decisions to do our own thing for a while. There are others who believe that it's possible to lose your salvation and that you could lose it at that particular point. But I think that this passage is saying something entirely different. And before we get into that, I want to talk just generally about the book of Hebrews because we've been away from it for a while. So Hebrews is written to, you ready for this? Hebrews. So it's written to Jewish people who knew the law, who knew it well. And throughout the book, you find many references to the law. In fact, there are probably more references to the law than we get, we Gentiles get. Once you begin to slow down and look for it, you begin to see that he has many references to it. He makes references to passages in the Old Testament that are passages that are not well known, and he just makes them in passing because he knows that his audience knows them well. And these Hebrews have received Jesus as their Savior. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. He came to complete it. So Jesus completed the law. And so they are, today there's, some Jewish people will say when they receive Jesus as their Messiah, that they are completed Jews. They've received what the law was all about. And so if you're Jewish, and maybe we have some Jewish brothers and sisters who are here with us today, what do you do with the law? Do you continue to keep the law if you've grown up keeping the law? Of course, today there are no sacrifices that are given. By the way, there's a prophecy in the Bible that says that sacrifices are going to be reestablished on the Temple Mount. That doesn't mean, by the way, that it's God approved or that it's God ordained. It just means that they will rebuild the temple, then they will have sacrifices up on that Temple Mount once again. 
But if you're Jewish, what do you do with the law? And then as Gentiles, what do we do with the law as well? Because in the days of the New Testament, there were certain Jews who had become Christians who felt like Gentiles needed to be circumcised and needed to keep the law. There were a decision that they had to make in Acts chapter 15. Today, there are people who believe that you as a Gentile should keep the law as well. And so we want to know, as we make our way through the book of Hebrews, what's said about that. Now, knowing what happened to them, they gave their lives to Jesus. They realized that everything in the law was a shadow of Jesus Christ, was a shadow of the truth. They received Jesus in the sacrifice that he gave, so they no longer had to give sacrifices. I don't know that every Jewish person that got saved stopped making sacrifices while the temple was there. Because remember, after Jesus died, there were still 30 years before the temple was gone. And so some of them may have continued to give sacrifices in memorial to Christ. But certainly that was taken care of at 70 AD when the temple was completely destroyed. And there's no way to give sacrifices today. But Jesus fulfilled the law completely. Let me just give you this as Gentiles. We're going to break this down more as we make our way through Hebrews. And we're yet to get into the section that talks about the law and how it relates to us today if we're Jewish or if we're Gentile. But I do want to give you a passage if you are a Gentile and you're wondering, does this apply to me at all? Listen to Colossians 2.16. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink in regards to festivals, to new moons, and to Sabbaths. All of those things are very Jewish. They kept new moons. They kept festivals. They, they, of course, had food and drink restrictions. And so Paul writes to the Colossians who were Gentiles and says, let no one judge you regarding these things. And then he says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. All of these things in the law were not the substance, but they were the shadow of how Jesus would fulfill them all. And it says, but the substance is in Christ. There's another passage that talking to us about keeping the law that says that these things were the shadow, but the reality, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk for a moment, just really quickly, because it's important to this text. What happens to us when we are born again? What happens to us when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we confess with our mouth that He is Lord, when we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and we are saved? There's a couple of things. We talked about this last weekend. One is that your spirit is brought back to life. Your spirit, which who knows, is it dormant? Is it dead? Is it non-existent? When God breathed into Adam, there was a soul and a spirit that was breathed into him. And when Adam died, the spirit died. Whether it was died and no longer there or dormant, theologians argue about those things because that's what theologians do is argue about those things. For you and I, it's important enough to know that the Bible says that when we come to Christ, our spirits are made alive and we are now able to communicate and interact with God. And that's a great thing for us as Christians to realize that our spirit has been brought to life. The second thing that happens is that we have the fruit of the evidence that our spirit has come to life. We begin to want to do the things God wants us to do. We begin to keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What was the commandment Jesus gave us? A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. The New Testament says, above all things I would, that you would have a fervent love for one another. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. John tells us, uh, 
Yeah, 1 John 2, 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him. This is the way you know that you know him, that you're saved. That's the reference to knowing him here is salvation. By this you know if you know him, if you keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And then it throws in, and the truth ain't in him. It's not enough to say you're a liar, and the truth ain't in you. If you say, so there's a transformation. You become a new person. You begin to do the things that God wants you to do. So if you've come to Christ and you're living exactly the same, then it's probably time to reevaluate. Whatever you did that you thought was salvation wasn't really salvation if you don't have any changes. You've got to be able to identify it. I'm not saying it has to happen fast, and I'm certainly not judging you. I'm just saying there has to be fruit at some point. All right? And the third thing, and this is where we come into the text, is that we will endure to the end. When we make a genuine commitment to Christ, we will endure to the end. It doesn't mean there might not be hiccups. It doesn't mean that you might not walk away. But because there is a genuine faith, you are going to return. You are going to come back to Christ. I met the Lord when I was 13 years old. I, at 18 years old, the, the pastor in my, the church that I went to as a young pastor, had an affair with the secretary. Now, I admit, there, my, spiritually, I wasn't where I should be. At the time, I was 18 years old, and I just wasn't where I should be spiritually. And so when that happened, I said, if this is what church is about, I'm gone, I'm leaving. And I walked away from the Lord, and I walked away from him for a year. But Jesus came after me. He said, I'll leave the 99, I'll go after the one. And I'll tell you, it wasn't fun how he came after me, by the way. He took everything away from me. Maybe others, he would do it differently. Maybe he would give them everything and they would see the goodness of God that would, would lead to repentance. But for me, it was like God just stripped me of everything until all I could do is come back to him and give my life back to him. And I thought I was a second-class Christian, by the way, because I had walked away from him for a year. I knew what it was all about. If anybody fit Hebrews chapter six, it was me at 18 years old. But when I came back, God brought me back. He restored me to the body of Christ and the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, the Bible says. And so that's what this chapter is about. If you're taking notes, you can write that this chapter is about the perseverance of the saint, the one who has committed their lives to Christ, making it till the end. It's about how we receive the promises of God. God has given you promises. How do you receive them? How do you take them from God? We can't reach out in the air and grab them. There's, the Bible's full of them. So how do I receive it? So we pick it up in verse one of Hebrews chapter six. I'm gonna cover the first seven or eight verses quickly because I spent so much time on them before. And then I'm gonna go into the rest of the chapter. So it says, therefore, and the therefore is therefore, chapter five, because he said, I'm gonna paraphrase this. In chapter five, he said, you guys are a bunch of babies. You guys should be teaching, but you need somebody to teach you again. So he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance to did works, of faith towards God, of doctrines of baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Then he gets into the controversial passage. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of heavenly gifts, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted of the good word of God, 
and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them to repentance. So you take the giant parentheses in the middle away, it is impossible for those if they have fallen away to renew them to repentance. Now what we know about these people that it's impossible to renew them to repentance is that they had a whole lot of information. And people argue about whether or not this information is salvation information, but we saw it there. There's a list of them that's here. Verse 4, it once enlightened, tasted of heavenly gifts, become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted of the good word of God and the powers to come. Now, where else in the Bible do we find people that have a lot of knowledge and information and they're told it's impossible to renew you to repentance? It would be when Jesus was interacting with the religious leaders and they said that he was casting out demons by Beelzebub and Jesus gave them a warning. He didn't say that they had committed the unforgivable sin. You can go back and read the text. That's what he said. He said to them, he gave them a warning. Any word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But he who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And so that causes people to go, I've committed the unforgivable sin because I've spoken against the Holy Spirit. They think something in their mind and they think that they've done it. But it's the continual rejection of the Spirit when you have a lot of information. That's the unforgivable sin. These guys, if there's anybody who should have known who Jesus was, it was the religious leaders. But knowing who he was, they rejected him anyway. And so this would be a warning to people who are in the church of these Hebrews who have information, but they are not genuine Christians. They are tares instead of wheat. They have not really ever made a commitment to Christ. But they're just listening and gaining information and growing and listening and gaining information and growing in their knowledge. And then they walk away. There comes a place where God no longer draws you. That's scary. There comes a place where well, later on in Hebrews it will say, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. As if today, you know God's speaking to you today, you don't know if he's going to be speaking to you tomorrow. You know the opportunity for repentance is available for you today. Now, if you're brand new to Christianity and you're searching out, then this would not apply to you at all. It would apply to people who are really, who really know the gospel and who are playing games. People who are not sincere. People who are not really serving God. And the Bible tells us that the church is going to be full of people like that. There's intentional deceivers among us. There are those that are, are planted by the enemy. There are those that think that they're saved, but they're not genuinely saved. For whatever reason, they haven't taken that step into genuine salvation. And this would be a warning that there may come a time for you where you cross a line where it's impossible to renew you to repentance. That's what I think that this passage is saying. It's not saying that a, a true Christian could walk away because I think a genuine Christian will follow through anyway because they were genuinely born again. Like I walked away, but I came back because I had a genuine commitment to Christ. Had mine not been a genuine commitment, I might have walked away and walked away forever. But because it was genuine, I came back. That's not to comfort you in your apostasy, by the way. If you're here and you're like, well, that's like me. I'm just going to go ahead and hang out here for a while. I, I would... <laughs> I would not advise that at all. It's a scary thing. The Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? It's a scary thing to think about, you know, not interacting with God on an honest level. And so it says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. 
And then it says, since you will crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put into an open shame. So I think that what it's saying there is, there comes a point where salvation was made for you, his death on the cross was made for you. You knew it all. You had all this information. It wasn't just a little bit, but you knew and, and you rejected, rejected, rejected. And there comes a point where if that was continued to be made available for you, Jesus would have to die again. That's why it comes to a place where certain people who reject, 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 reject with a lot of knowledge, because somebody without knowledge could reject forever. But when you have a lot of knowledge, that's the reason it comes to a place where you can no longer be brought to repentance because you would have to crucify the blood of Christ for you again. It's been offered to you. Salvation's been offered to you. You, with all of the knowledge, have turned it away. I think that's what it says, by the way. Could I be wrong? Ah, yeah, sure. All right, just so you know. But that's what I think it means. And I, I, I think that's scripturally sound. Then, then he gives an analogy to what he just said. This is an analogy to the warning. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes in it and bears herbs useful for those to whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. So when the rain falls upon the... And this would be the enlightenment, the word of God, all of those wonderful things that God's giving you. And if it, when the rain falls on the ground and it produces herbs and things that are good for man, God blesses that ground. And for those of you that have received Christ and what he said, your lives are being blessed. But, verse 8, if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near being cursed, whose end is to be burned. And notice in the analogy, it even gives us that near to being burned. In other words, it's a warning. If you have all that knowledge, but you've yet to really follow through and make a commitment to Christ, you may be near being burned. All that rain has fallen into your life. You've gotten all of that knowledge, but it's produced thorns and briars, and you are near being burned. Instead, make a commitment to Christ. Now, that's the bad cop. Chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews can be broken up into bad cop, good cop. I realize that the saying is good cop, bad cop. I understand that. But bad cop comes first in Hebrews chapter 6. So the writer gives you that scare. He gives you that jolt. And I think it's a real warning, by the way. I think those that say, well, these warnings weren't real warnings. I think it's a real warning. And now comes good cop. Okay? So in verse 6, he says, but beloved... We are confident of better things concerning you. He's saying, but of you guys, we're confident of better things. Yes, things that accompany salvation. This tells me again that he's talking to people above who don't have salvation. We're, we're confident of better things for you. Things that accompany salvation. That you're going to come to the place where you receive Jesus, where you truly are born again. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You have to be born again. And we are confident of salvation. And then he goes on, though we speak in this manner, though I'm talking in this way, I believe that those of you that have gained all of this information, you may even be near being burned because you have so much that you're going to finally make that decision for salvation. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He says, I realize that you guys, even though you're listening and not receiving him, that you are ministering and you have ministered and God is not going to be unjust in forgetting that. I think that's an important point. God will always be fair. In judgment, God's going to be fair. In blessings, in where you deserve good things, God's going to be fair. 
He'll always be fair. And he says in verse 11, And we desire that each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That's a very important sentence. And I want to come back and I want to read it again. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you, notice it goes right down to the pinpoint now. If he was writing this letter to us, it'd be like every one of you, each one of you. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You can't bail out halfway through. You're going to have to run the race to the end. You got to cross the finish line. This is not the only place the Bible tells us this. There are, it's already told us that. We pointed it out earlier in the book of Hebrews that we have to run the race to the end. What is the ultimate sign that you really have salvation? That you finish the race. That's it. And so there are people who have walked with God for a long time, long time, and, and high up, by the way, and then they walk away and there is nobody, no matter what their theology is, who will say that that person is still saved. I always use the example, it's a true example, of a well-known radio pastor who had an assistant pastor for 20 years and then he became an atheist. His assistant pastor became an atheist. And he said, well, he never knew Christ. This is a guy who teaches once saved, always saved very strongly. This is a guy who teaches, you know, the tulip of Calvinism very strongly. And he says he's never, he's not saved. He's, he was never saved. Now, some people who may believe it's possible to walk with God and walk away would say he's not saved as well. And so the encouragement is to make it to the end. You're not in this for five years. You're not in this for a year. You're not in this for a sprint. You're in this for your lifetime. We want to serve God, love Him, and follow Him the rest of our lives. We make a commitment now, and we know that we make it forever. And if you can't do that, then don't make the commitment. Know that this is a new lifestyle. This is a lifestyle of being filled with the Holy Spirit, having your spirit quickened to life. It says in verse 12 that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now he's going to get to where he gives us those guys who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's the, the hall of faith. That's the capstone of the book of Hebrews where he gives us this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and have run the race. So I've always said of this particular statement, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. The Bible's full of promises, hundreds of them, that are, are applicable to all of us. And it's through faith and patience that we receive it. I've often said, I wish it said, through faith and immediately you receive the promises of God. And I know I'm not the only one that doesn't like the fact that we have to wait because I get questions from people all the time. Why do I have to wait? My answer is almost always the same. I don't know. <laughs> what I do know is that God said, if you wait, you will mount up with wings like an eagle. You will run and not be weary. You will, you will walk and not faint. You will run and not be weary. What I do know is that Jesus encouraged us to continue. He gave certain parables that we would be persistent in prayer. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. 
If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.